Thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 11, Nothing in Common, from 1986. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Joey Lewandowski, and with us today is no one, because no one signed up for this movie, because why would they? They were spared. I cannot, I almost, I can't handle, (laughs) I can't do it, Mike, this early Hanks is killing me. Dude, I'm with you, like, when you're like JFC Hanks, like, what is happening? I mean, look, like, I had to, I started editing an episode during this movie, like, I needed something to, like, do while watching this, it was crazy. This is not necessarily the worst Hanks movie that we've uh, covered so far, I still think that honor goes to Mazes and Monsters, although... But that's fun! But it has mm. something, it has something, it has Pardue, it's got craziness, like, there's something there that I never saw before. This is like, I've seen this a billion times. That's true. I might move this down. This is such a mess of a movie that makes... that I don't know if it knows what it wants to be. And what's really mm-hmm. a bummer, and not that I have any particular affection toward him, but this is directed by Gary Marshall. Like, he's made yeah. really good, fun movies, and yet this is a turd. And it's funny that Hanks is going to work with uh, Penny Marshall and has worked with him on Bosom Buddies for an episode, but they're going to do League of Their Own and stuff. Like, sure. That martial magic just isn't there today. Well, I'm glad that you brought up Bosom Buddies because the only thing that was getting me through the early parts of this of this movie were it feels like a spiritual sequel in sorts to Bosom Buddies. Yes, that he's an ad man, that he's like a wacky goofball, that he's got you know strange, useless on-screen skills. Like there's one point where he's on the phone and he puts like a piece of popcorn on his fingers and then like slaps his wrist and the popcorn jumps up into his mouth. Like things like that. He's drumming on everything. Like it feels like Kip. Yep, it feels like Kip, like, if if there was no Henry. Like, Henry went off and became a famous author. And there's even a line in here where he's like, I'm not here to make my great American novel. I'm here to do advertising. I like. I was like, holy shit. Like, what in Bosom Buddies land is happening? Also, I would say it's his most sex-crazed character since Bosom Buddies. Like, he is a yeah. fiend. And that is apparently the only thing in common between he and his father, Jackie Gleason, that they could both... Jackie Gleason says to him, we could both... We always talk a girl into bed when they're just shopping. They're shopping in a grocery store and Hanks is buying his dad porno mags like I don't know <laughs> what is happening yeah uh, I was very confused and sort of like there's such a kick in my step after the money pit you know and I feel like I just tripped down a hill watching this movie or something. I mean I'm still game don't get me wrong like I got up and brushed myself off but there's so much Hanks here that I never recognized it felt almost more like a Robin Williams role or something at times that's not a bad call even he has like no offense like i feel like he can pull off like that sex appeal that's going on in this movie for the character a little better than hanks it just kind of came across as awkward for me it did a little bit and he is really like on he's shamelessly hitting on everyone and not only that but like he's like successfully wooing people in this movie like he's not only sex crazed but like desirable and again we've talked about this maybe on hanks of the memories maybe on cruise club i don't remember which which half of the tom tom but like Tom Cruise, firmly a sex symbol. Tom Hanks, not so much. And I, I know that there are many women out there who are attracted to Tom Hanks, but I also just, you know, it's, it still feels like a weird kind of role for Tom Hanks. 
Yeah, you know, I was actually getting a lot of Rain Man vibes from this movie. Like, it feels like he's playing more of that Cruise character, but he can't quite pull it off. Like, it's not that he doesn't have, like, the charm or confidence, but I think it actually just comes down to the look for some of it. Like, I don't know. But it just felt like a parallel movie in a lot of ways because they're both sort of dealing with family members that, you know, need assistance and yep. it's sort of impeding on their lives and they have to learn how to, like, sort of get over it and deal with all that and everything. I thought, I wrote down Rain Man because at one point in this movie, you know, the the big account, like, Hanks is an ad exec and the big account that they get is this airline and they're in a meeting and they're like, well, what about our safety records? Who cares? Blah, 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 blah. And Hanks is like, who cares about safety records? And I was like, Rain Man does. He only wants to fly, fly Qantas because they don't crash. Uh, but for that one person, it matters. For everybody else, you know, Hanks' arguments in this are good. You know, I think it's just a weird movie, man, because this is a movie where he is an ad exec and he's, like, good at his job and career focused, obviously, and driven and successful. And then the world collapses around him and his parents split up, his dad has diabetes that's untreated, his mom wants to re-enter the dating scene, he's for some reason continuing to lean on his ex-girlfriend who, like, very clearly does not need him, and it really bothered me at the end when they get back together, because, like, that shouldn't happen, but that's just a happy ending. This is comfortable. (laughs) Like, that is, that's a total Mazes and Monsters ending when they're, like, on the bench by the lake and it's very sort of, what? And, you know, it's it's sort of Scrooged in that way. It's every movie. I mean, it's so many movies where it's like, you shouldn't focus only on your job. You should focus on your family. But it also doesn't work in that it's tonally inconsistent from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was also getting Sweet November vibes, right? Ooh. Like, there you have, like, a crazy ad man who you know, whose life has changed. Like, it's all turned upside down. And that, like, for not for nothing, like, at least that is consistent. Like, it may not be great, right? But, like, it it establishes and, like, maintains a certain tone, which is, like, the romance comedy. Uh, Here, I have no idea, like what it wants to be like it it wants you to laugh so hard and then it wants you to cry as much as possible and i don't do either i'm annoyed and i'm kind of bored and i feel kind of bad about it too because i love i like hanks and i'm a jackie gleason sort of a jackie gleason fan i mean i haven't seen a lot of his stuff but i know him from like the toy around this area around this Mm -hmm. time i've seen a lot of honeymooners and stuff so you know i was just upset that they couldn't find better material to sort of shine with this feels just like an opportunity for jackie gleason to like show off his dramatic acting chops. So apparently, there's not that much trivia on IMDb about this movie, because why would there be? Like, this can't be a a huge movie. I actually want to look up the box office stuff, but it seemed like most of the trivia was around his character. So here's what I got about Jackie Gleason. Gary Marshall apparently would not make this movie without Jackie Gleason, and Jackie Gleason did not want to make this movie. He was like, I'm done with acting. Uh, Jackie Gleason at the time was dying of colon cancer, liver cancer, thrombosed hemorrhoids, diabetes, and phlebitis. Like, he is in rough shape. He, he wound up dying, I think, a year after this movie came out. Like, he was just on, you know, his last legs. And Gary Marshall said to him, do you really want to be remembered for smoking the Bandit 3? And so Jackie Gleason was like, well, okay. Yeah, he should have said, of course I do. No, those movies are, are, are so much more fun. <laughs> okay, but I get his point. I understand what he means. And so he did this. So this movie made it made $32 million, which is not terrible. It opened in eighth place uh, with $3.5 million. It opened the same weekend that Friday the 13th Part 6. And oh, we just went through this because we just watched Boy in Blue for Cage Club Revisited, and we talked about this. So it opened the same weekend as Friday the 13th Part 6 and Howard the Duck, and number nice. one in the box office was Aliens. I was at Howard the Duck. I would, I would I tell the 
the story on third times about how my uh, cousin took me to aliens when I was way too young. <laughs> so that was this year, huh? What people came for was probably Jackie Gleason and Hanks, right? This has like yeah. star appeal, like Gary Marshall, like all this kind of thing. And it feels like it should work, but there's something that makes it come across as like one of those lifetime movies or something, right? It makes me, it reminds me of like early Keanu, like Brotherhood of Justice level types of production. Oh, it's definitely an after school special kind of movie. But like the production quality is higher. Like I think it's a good looking movie. I think it's put together well. It's just boring and inconsistent. The most notable thing, and I've started doing this looking for connections to other Cage Club properties, Gary Marshall, of course, directed the Zac Efron classic New Year's Eve, um, <laughs> so never forget that. But more importantly, the cinematography was done by John A. Alonzo, a name I did not know, but he had shot Scarface, Chinatown, Harold and Maud, Steel Magnolias, Vanishing Point, Runaway. Holy shit. A movie fueled by cocaine and Mike Manzi's favorite, Cool World. Holy shit. Wow. He, someone actually shot that movie? Apparently. That's amazing. That was kind of like, you know, for the guy who shot Scarface in Chinatown to shoot also this movie, like, forget it, Jake. That's what's so funny about Hanks, too, is like last week we had like this incredible cinematographer who shot like The Godfather. Yep. And then it's like, I also shot The Money Pit. Yep. It's weird, man. I don't I don't know. Uh, the only other trivia that I have, so I can get out as part of my notes, is that John Goodman was considered for the Tom Hanks role. And I think that would have worked well too. Although I don't know that sex appeal. I don't know. That would have been sort of strange there too. Yeah, but it would have had. It would have looked like Jackie Gleason's son a little more, right? Like Hanks and Gleason. I don't get a. I don't get like a familial relation or between or even the woman who's playing his mother. Like I don't pick no. up that like any of them are together with each other. The one comparison or connection I got like that was that his ex-girlfriend who he eventually winds up getting back with the guy that she's dating I guess or sleeping with or whatever when Hank shows up drunk in the middle of the night like you know down in his luck he looks like Tom Hanks like he's just got that curly short brown hair and just feels like like she's got a type and I don't know if that's intentional or not well he's got a type too Hanks like it's she's another you know uh tall blonde right like we've got that with Sonny with Madison mm-hmm. like I feel like we've had that a lot down the even in uh One Red Shoe I believe the love interest was a blonde, so. Well, I mean, he's with Seal Ward for most of this movie, who's beautiful and like, gorgeous, composed yeah. and everything. And I actually like their meet. Like, I like how... Oh, yeah, you know, me too. You know, like, the reveal that she's the daughter of the big account and is actually, you know, money bucks and all that kind of thing. So There is some weird gender politics here at play, which actually reminded me of Austin's comment on our cocktail episode over on Cruise Club, where, remember, at the end of Cocktail, where Cruise is like, I hope if the baby's a boy, he takes over the business, and I hope if the baby's a girl she marries a good man it's like what and then here it's the reverse but also almost as troubling where we're talking because the dad is the owner of the airline or Celia Ward's dad is the owner of the airline and Celia Ward is this like you know rising star in the corporate world and he's like I raised her to be a CEO I raised her like a man and I was just like what I I mean I, I know it's the 80s but what and not only the 80s but that character you know probably born in like the 30s and stuff right yeah. so like raised in the late 40s and 50s so like yeah that was just brainwashed growing up and stuff and all that but i know we, we're still trying to shake that but yeah so what was your favorite part if you had to pick a favorite part what was your favorite part of nothing in common this is tough like i don't want to say like this is a terrible movie i just didn't really oh it's a terrible it movie okay it's a terrible movie but I, i'm trying not to be like too mean toward it but like i was just shocked how much i just did not like this like right from the jump it's just boring boring i think my favorite part turned out to be kind of like it's kind of a joke but like whatever like the idea like it it 
it almost drove me mad. Uh, I started laughing so fucking hard, you're never going to believe it, but there is an actual song in this movie called Nothing in Common. It's a theme song. It's the damn theme song, and it came on, and I was like, no, no. Like, yeah. why are they doing it with this movie? And then there's, like, more montage in this than Rocky Four. That was insane i think that's my second favorite part is like oh we're just gonna like take this full scene and play music over it and chop it down a little bit but you're still gonna see their mouths move that yeah. you know i was like wait a second the balls on gary marshall right now so you know it's either the song or the overuse of montage the montage that one montage in the middle is where he's doing that useless popcorn skill i think and also right before that montage there's a great moment where hanks gives his mom a puppy but it's the way that he oh, just yeah. pulls it out of his bag he's just like oh, i got one other thing oh it's a puppy it's just like what i loved it it didn't make really any sense but i loved it my favorite moment is just about everything that hector elizondo did because i think he's killing it in this movie uh, i think see the ward's great i think hanks can be good in this i think hector elizondo I th- actually across the board i feel like for the most part the actors are all doing well maybe the parents maybe jackie gleason and maybe hanks's mom are stumbling a little bit but i think that's more so because they don't know like what is going on but hector alzando as his boss who is both good at his job but also like desperately trying to find a way to cover up his male pattern baldness i love also wild story about uh, my hair blindness he looks like dan castellaneta does now um where it's a bald head and goatee and stuff and i was trying to figure out who dan castellaneta aka homer simpson was in this movie and i was like is that him and i was like no that's not him but like my hair blindness which normally happens because of ha- because of hair it was in a situation where it had no hair that it struck and i've never had that happen before this is a wild turn of events that's great yeah i no, i loved hector alizade i like that he's like second build too and everything because he's normally he's normally just like an extra he's in all of gary marshall's movies but he's usually like a, a small part right like he's not usually like the star no no and he's not the star here he's a he's a solid supporting player here but what i love about his character is like he's hanks's boss and hanks at the end like kind of fucks up royally right like oh, yeah. tanks the whole account at the end and he comes in his boss comes in and he's like he's like don't worry about it it's not the end of the world you know i was like holy shit that's that's awesome yep. like usually the boss comes in and like chews him out and he gets fired or he yells at him and he's like one more screw up and he comes and it's just like he's such a nice like nurturing boss and everything and hanks has actually been quite supportive of him getting a rug and all that kind of thing and everything so they they did have a very nice relationship i was not i was very surprised it was in this movie you know what actually really surprised me about this movie is that for a client that is so family focused like the entire ad campaign that they do is like the airline that brings families together right they're filming this commercial about grandma visiting mom visiting whatever (laughs) toretto airlines bringing family together (laughs) yeah exactly basically but Considering the reason Hanks, like, really loses his mind at the end here is because of family, because his dad is having, like, a a tough time, you know what I mean? Yeah, his dad's gonna get his uh, foot cut off, yeah. From untreated diabetes. And I was thinking that, like, you know, he was gonna make this whole thing, like, you think that he was gonna get fired, but, you know, I thought that the owner was gonna be like, this is exactly the kind of familial passion that we want. Like, this is is the story that we want to tell or whatever. But no, he's just like, he's like, "You're, you're fired. Like, he puts hands on him. Hanks with a real hard F. I know. He says, don't you ever 
fucking put your hands on me again. I was like, whoa, thanks. Okay. And then that's it. But I thought, based on how this movie had set up, like, this is the image we're portraying for this airline, especially the father-daughter relationship and, like, Hanks and the daughter and stuff, like, I thought this might have worked in his favor, but nope. Yeah, it's funny. We get Hanks' daddy issues again. I think Larson mentioned, you know, to watch out for that last week. But this is, like, the third movie in the row with family sort of at the core of it. And... It's weird, like, at the end there, you're right, like, it just goes to show, like, they're not about family, they're just, they're liars or whatever, they're just, they're into the money and stuff, and because, like, she's the guy's only daughter, like, there's no other brothers, or, like, he doesn't have, like, a big family, I don't even think we meet the mother or any of that kind of thing, and so, like, it's kind of interesting thinking about it now, how they were using that family facade just to, like, you know, they didn't believe in it, Uh, but Hanks really does by the end, but I I definitely, I just gotta say, like, we find out that, um, like, Hanks looks at his dad's foot without his shoe on, and then, like, the last 30 minutes suddenly change into, like, you know, diabetes awareness movie and everything, Mm -hmm. and, like, I'm not not like against that or anything but it's just crazy how the movie was like oh finally found its focus with 30 minutes remaining and then like you know with that boardroom scene it all tried to come bring everything together just not very successfully well the weird thing is that the movie's description the actual plot summary is that on his way up the corporate ladder david basner confronts his greatest challenge his father and, if, and like the poster all the marketing is like hanks against gleason like the two of these guys are going to be butting heads we need to find a way to get together or whatever and sort of coexist it's not until an hour into this movie. This movie is also two hours long. It's a solid two hours long. It's not until an hour into this movie that Hanks' dad, that Jackie Gleason calls and is like, you need, I need your help. You need to take care of me. I was like, what was the first hour of this movie about? How was the first hour, which I like more than the second hour, don't get me wrong, but why is that an hour long before the actual, like, why is that not the break into two? Why is that yeah. not 25 minutes in? Dude, it's super unbalanced. Like, they try to do a thing where we're going to cut back between Hanks at his job doing successful and then Gleason and his job failing and eventually getting fired and I just thought it was very uncomfortable that he sells children's clothing and he's like this 79 year old man like walking around playgrounds like patting kids on the I don't know I just got a creepy vibe from that whole thing I don't know why it needed to be that right but I thought that that we were gonna cut back and forth a lot more because like we spend so much time with Hanks and then when we go to Gleason it's like I'm getting a divorce it's like what and then we spend so much time with Hanks and then it's back to Gleason he's like I got fired today I'm canned and it's like wait what and then we spend all this time with Hanks and finally he has to move in with his dad and stuff and it's like okay it's been an hour but like we really could have cut this down a lot I feel oh absolutely I don't want to say too much Hanks but I think there's too much Hanks I think there's too much like feel good movie because like it's clear that the movie and that at least you know the screenwriter or Gary Marshall or whoever's vision for what this movie is is not to be a feel good movie and I feel like there's just too much of that up front like it lulls you into this false sense of security it's like you're, you're here because you might have seen the money pit earlier this year you know you saw Splash you saw you know these goofy movies with Tom Hanks as his lovable lead here's a movie that like we're gonna sell you on this and then just kidding drama diabetes it's like what yeah and it also feels like it doesn't have the confidence in hanks maybe to be a straight drama right like he's such an annoying character in this movie like everything's a fucking joke and like i feel like that one secretary who he just bothers and he's bothering in the closing credits and every you know did you watch that part at all where they have like extra footage there's like the one lady who works there that just isn't standing for any of his crap and i feel like that that's me (laughs) oh yeah the worst character in this movie because she doesn't change. Like, 
I don't know why she's there. She's always humorless, and I guess that's the joke, but why is that there? Why do they call back to that? I think for me it's to show that, like, not everybody thinks that Tom Hanks' character is, you know, that funny or that cool, and, and you know, and I think he comes to feel like, it comes to seem like, you know, he relies on his comedy too much. Like, even his boss tells him, don't forget to be funny, like, always be funny, like, all this. So I feel like if they just changed his character to try and be less like that, that's why I got, like, a Robin Williams vibe from it, because he's just manic and I feel like if he wasn't like this manic jokester maybe this could have been like a better drama I guess I really don't know man there's one point in this movie where Hanks mines a blowjob with his entire torso did you catch that oh yeah yeah <sighs> and I was like I don't want to see this I don't want my I don't want America's dad to be like pretending to give another man a blowjob like he's trying to get advertising inroads with clients at this bar and he's friends with the bartender he's like if you find out what company they're with I'll hook you up with my friend and she's like oh that sounds good and then he just goes off he's just like basically we don't hear what he's saying but if you talk to her she'll blow you and it's like what what and this is a PG rated movie that also has that and also has Hanks drop the hard F later like it just I don't yeah. I don't understand yeah I that's what I mean when I was like I don't recognize this Hanks like this doesn't feel like last week's Hanks or one or Hanks to come or anything like the the hard F really threw me like when we first were introduced to him and he's like under the covers with this girl and then they pull out and it turns out he's like banging a stewardess like mid-flight which I loved I did love that <laughs> I, I I didn't I don't want to like I don't like that's not the Hanks that I know but I loved the weird like I thought that was like another example of like the madcap like I guess this is the kind of movie it's going to be but he you think he's in bed with this woman and it turns out he's on a plane and then it turns out that they're in coach shared with like everybody and also she's the stewardess like it's it's this wild thing I I liked it I didn't I don't know that it makes sense I don't know that I want to see it in the movie but I I would be lying if I said I didn't laugh it's a funny it's a funny sequence like it's a good reveal it keeps peeling back like it's a it's a great joke with multiple punchlines but it just doesn't like belong like that's how i felt like oh i was like we're getting this movie and then it's like no like we never get back there again you know as far as comedy as far as like cleverness as far yeah. as like any of that kind of stuff so i don't know it kind of bothered me because i was like oh man like they're just trying to like force this on us and i don't think it needed it to be honest like i feel like we could have just gotten a very straightforward movie here there's also a point in this movie where horses have sex oh shit it mirrors uh hanks and Cela ward and they get so turned on by watching horses have sex that they go and bone in the, in the in the in the grass it's like almost like equus or something like i was going like i couldn't believe what i was watching this pg rated movie and uh, and i'm definitely like those horses are gonna fuck and then hanks is gonna fuck and i'm like oh i can't i can't <laughs> take it yeah no it happened it all happened i also want to point out i'm just going through my notes chronologically because i don't have a ton of them but when they do that pitch where we have dan castellaneta doing these voices that there's like there's basically three people doing voices of family members one person narrating one woman playing guitar and doing voices and then Hank's sort of guiding the narrative, if you will. They're doing this very emotional thing, which is what I was describing before about, like, this is the airman that brings families together. And I was just thinking, you know, I know it's a wildly different medium and it's a different time and all this different stuff, but a show that I, I've talked about on a couple show, or a couple episodes that we've recorded lately that I have not finished but I want to keep watching in Mad Men, obviously about the same kind of world. And at the end of the first season, I've watched the first two, at the end of the first season, he does this, like, Don Draper does this, like, incredibly emotional pitch about Kodak and how Kodak is, like, this carousel, like, the, like the, the photo carousel 
Somersault or whatever that like yeah. this is your family memories and like the way that it's shot and the music and I'm getting chills thinking about it right now like it's so incredible good. and here it's like the same kind of effect within the movie like oh this is what we want but like there's no emotional punch there like it just feels kind of goofy and wacky and like trying to tug on heartstrings but for whatever reason the movie's not successful in that and it just kind of it's again I don't want to compare it to Mad Men because that's 20 years later and you know we had learned so much about storytelling and about filmmaking and it's a different medium and it's a slower story and everything and it's a different era yeah but still you know when you have exhibit A and exhibit B it's hard not to really kind of compare the two yeah and even exhibit C it's a hot dog it's oh, a hot truly. dog it's yes. a hot dog mm-hmm. like there was so much there was even more power behind that scene I feel this scene just felt like to me it felt like cool kids not trying their hardest and thinking that they can just get by like maybe that's not what they're doing in the pitch or anything but that's how the sequence felt to me just felt like they were too cool for it or something and not into it enough I just didn't buy it Hanks and Hanks and Jackie Gleason have a your best friend is your dick and Hanks says and where'd I learn that your best friend is your dick and then Jackie Gleason's like the four of us will go out for lunch someday it's like what is happening in this movie <laughs> Joey you never talked to your dad like that before no not even a little bit I think that's the thing is like I always got along with my parents well you know for the most part like and I was never estranged from them at any moment or so I never had this kind of I can't understand well I get it I suppose but like I don't really feel the animosity towards my loved ones like I you know like I can't really get that hard into his head and the weird thing is that like it doesn't seem consistent with his character that he feels this way and I don't want to sort of generalize career focused people with like people who don't have time for their family but it feels like he's goofy and well-liked and sort of able to take life slowly and, you know, he's successful at work and it doesn't feel like the character we see at the beginning, you know, jives with this guy who doesn't want to talk to his parents. I mean, later when he goes back to his, or he's talking to his ex-girlfriend and he's saying to her, like, I had this dream where I was going to buy a mansion and they were going to show up once and they would say, we're so proud of you, son, and then I was never going to see them again. And that, I mean, they're telling, I guess, instead of showing, like, I feel like showing versus telling or whatever, it just doesn't feel like the kind of character or whatever, it doesn't doesn't line up, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because like I, I just feel like he's so are you trying he's trying to be the life of the party all the time at work and make everybody feel better and happy and he just wants everybody to do, to do their best so then when it comes to his parents why is it such a burden like where's that attitude of like hey like I want to make you laugh I want to do this and it's not like what we find out about his neurosis is really that like damaging or deep like I don't want to sort of like say that it's nothing you know like we come to find out and in a very disturbing scene that Jack Jackie Gleason refers to his mother as frigid. She had never been with anybody before their marriage. Mm -hmm. And so he goes out and like cheats on her in order to like get his pleasure and stuff. And that's terrible and everything. But it's not like he continually forced himself upon Hanks' mom night after night. You know what I'm saying? Like it could be so much darker. Like I feel like the movie sort of messed up in that regard is like you needed this to be like Hanks was maybe beaten as a kid as well like they needed to stack that deck a little more it just seems like an emotionless like a, a loveless marriage because she's like he never kissed me like because the guy that she went on a date with that she's kind of losing her mind about or whatever you know he kissed her and she's like I don't know how to react because your father doesn't kiss me it's just like oh like that 
Okay. I think that's a justifiable concern and something that you would be freaked out about, but it feels like for the levels of this movie, like you're saying, like the levels of what this movie is insinuating, this how broken this relationship is, kind of needs to be a little bit more. It feels like it's just dysfunctional as opposed to broken. The only other note that I have is that at the end of the movie, or toward the end of the movie, where Hanks is like sleeping on his couch and Hector Elizondo comes in, and he's like, go away. He's like, oh, you're the boss. I got to talk to you or whatever. And they're talking about family and stuff like that. And Hanks says to him that he hears Elizondo is the perfect son and then Hector Elizondo says no I hear there's only one of those and I was like are you talking about Jesus? I didn't pick up on I that. I think that's what they're talking about like the perfect son I like, I don't know what else it would be because he's not talking about Hanks. I, they can't be talking about Hanks. He no. can't He can't be like no you're the perfect son like that's not that's, that doesn't feel like that's what they're getting across but there's never any prior reference to anything religious really in this movie nope i don't know it is wild okay out of all the things that we've said that we do not like about this movie is there one in particular that stands out as your least favorite moment um oh geez i just don't know i mean there's really there's so many options that i could choose from i don't know tell me about it i really don't know which one down the road you could be like remember that time that hanks got turned on by horses and had sex with seal ward to be like oh yeah that was kind of weird like that's not my least favorite i think maybe my least favorite part might be hanks dropping the f-bomb in this movie i think that like it just doesn't i mean we're probably going to get it again but it just didn't feel right to me like i don't know it just it felt more like an f minus (laughs) <laughs> and an f bomb. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go with that. Hank saying the f word. I think I'll go with just like the, all the forced schmaltz of the end of this movie. Like when Hanks is pushing his dad out of the hospital, and you know you're the last person I thought would ever come through for me. It's like, well, guy, there's four minutes left in the movie. Like, of course he's gonna come through <laughs> for you. What are you, ta- what are you talking about? <laughs> and Hanks being like, that's all I ever needed to hear. Like, that's all you ever needed to hear is like, yeah, my son finally came through once. He pushed me down a hallway. It's like, that's right, Dad. <laughs> he pushed me down a hallway, and then he sat on a bench with a lady and said, this is comfortable. This is comfortable to me, too. Cool. And then put his head awkwardly on her, like, chest. I was like, what? What in the world? Uh, what was the movie be like if Tom Cruise was in the role? I think it would be a lot more believable sexually. Yeah, I think it would be... I think it's more of a Tom Cruise vehicle, to be honest. Like I was saying, like, it, it has that Rain Man vibe to it, and I think he was great in that movie. And I think you could just use that character and just drop him in this movie, really, and uh, it could work. I think the reason, and I'm just realizing this now, the reason I think this feels so weird to us is because I think this is a type of Tom Cruise role, the career-driven, like you're like you saying, like Rain Man, like this feels like the kind of role that we would see him play, and I think the reason that we sort of feel so icky about all this is because it doesn't work. Yeah. Do you want to Stanley yourself into this? Do you, do you want to be a part of this movie? I'd be in any movie to be quite, just about any movie to be quite honest, uh, With especially if Tom Hanks is in there, you know, just go to it to see if you could find me in a Where's Waldo type fashion, but I think what I'm going to be is, um, oh, I know exactly who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the guy who takes care of the horses. Oh, okay. That guy. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure no one touches those horses. Who would I want to be? I want to be somewhere involved in the scene where Hanks and Sela Ward meet. I want to be either on the phone next to them when he first sees her, or maybe the waiter. And I just want to be like, ooh, these these kids got a spark. Because it's a part of the movie that I like. I think it's a part of the movie that works well. We were talking about earlier, like you mentioned that, you know, you think it's a cool introduction for her, which I agree with. I think all of that is just, like, it's, it's the better part of the movie. I just want to be a part of that. Like, I want to be part of the movie that I enjoy. That has a little bit of what the opening has, where it's like, you know, it's a re- 
reveal. Like, there's multiple reveals in conjunction with the introduction of her yep. character. Yeah, and so that's why it works so well. There's just, where's the rest of that in this movie? I don't know. Like, I wonder if this would be better as, like, either, like, a not a miniseries, but, like, it feels like it's two movies, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, not that I want to see this made into two movies, but it feels like just two wildly disparate halves that don't gel, and I don't know... You know, this is real bad. We try to fix it. I don't know how you do it. I think you have to make it more tonally consistent. I just kind of wish that... I don't I don't know, man. I, I just... I don't know. Yeah. I had one thing, one thought popped into my head watching it, because I thought this is where the movie was going. I feel like we didn't see Hanks' mom for quite some time. So originally, I thought she, maybe she passed, right? Like she died, and now dad is on his own for the first time. And I think maybe it could work that way if either parent, you yeah. know, and it's suddenly yeah. like... They're on their own. They need their only child to really lean on, and he's too busy or what have you, and they have to really figure something out. That's the other weird thing, is that, like, the movie is ostensibly about him and his dad, but, like, he spends so much time, like, counseling his mom, and that doesn't work for me at all. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like it resolves, because she goes at the end to talk to him before the operation to talk to Jackie Gleason, and he, like, tells her off or something, or, like, doesn't accept her apology there's something there's something unresolved with that whole thing i felt so why even kind of have it and especially at the very very end when you know hanks is at the house or whatever and she's like everything's set up but i am not coming back it's like what you're on your own good luck okay does tom hanks in this movie do anything to put him on the road to becoming america's dad i'm gonna read a bible verse to you that i've been thinking about whoa here we go talking about jesus well that's why i thought that's why i thought about it okay but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Scott Aukerman quotes that from time to time on Comedy Bang Bang and Freedom and stuff like that. I was wondering why that's like my most heard Bible quote. Sure. I want to say no, because it's not the Hanks that we know at all, but I kind of feel like this is the movie where he's like, I need to put childish things away, I need to become America's dad. That's interesting. Like, I definitely was going to say yes, but not until the very end when he sort of becomes, you know, the son that takes care of the dad and, like, now he's going to be the dad. You know, it feels weird in a way, like, now I have become my father's father or something like that, where uh, he's the caretaker. But I like I like that take, too, Joey, because it's like, I, I'm Tom Hanks, I can't just be Mr. Comedy all the time. Like, there has to, I have to at least, you know, dip my toe in there. Even though he sort of sank instead of swam in this particular role, like, he does have it in him. He, I think there's a few... He did make a splash. He did make a splash after all, yes. You know, even though I don't think this movie works, he has a few moments that come through that I'm like, okay, like, he has the chops. This just isn't the material. Yeah, very, very true. All right, it is time now, unless you have, do you have any, other, any other thoughts about Nothing in Common before we get to the award ceremony? I do not. All right. Worst film, for sure. Nothing in Common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worst role? Ooh. Well, we have nothing nominated right now for worst role or best role. No shit. We don't have a... We don't have anything nominated for that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad. He is very annoying in this one. I didn't like that about him. I'll put it in there. Best fight? It's not really a fist fight. He's got a couple of vocal arguments with his dad, with Jackie Gleason, but no. Best dance scene? No. Party scene? No. Best Hank's outfit? No. Best death? He doesn't die. Best line? No. The line about... What was the line about his dick again? You should talk. Your best friend is your dick. And when did I learn that? Your best friend is your dick. That's great. The four of us will go out to lunch someday. Well, that could be best freak out. 
I'm, I'm okay putting that there. I mean, that was a line in a Gary Marshall movie, so... <laughs> Best soundtrack slash theme. I'm going to put it down. Nothing in common. What? Really? Just theme song. We, we'll probably take it off. We might not even have this category. We got to put a Spotify list together, my man. Like, this is getting nuts. Best love story, no. Worst love story? We could do worst love story. Oh, with the ex. Yeah, which is... What's her name? Donna Mildred Martin? And then... Most badass role, no, or then best non-Hanks actor, male or female, gonna say no. Nay, sorry, Jackie Gleason. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So we have five nominations. Worst film, worst role, best freakout. I'm gonna take off best soundtrack theme. I don't want to nominate this for that. And worst love story. So worst film, worst role, worst love story, and best freakout. For the Woodies, whenever they come in 2020 or 2021. The next Hanks movie we're doing is another one with no guest because it's another one that I've never heard of before. The next one is Every Time We Say Goodbye, also from 1986. No, it sounds like a song title, though. It sounds like we're, we're definitely getting a theme song. I think you're right there. I mean, oh man, I can't take much more of like this kind of stuff. Like I just... Well, so let's see here. So looking ahead, every time we say goodbye, I don't know. Dragnet, I sort of have a sense of what that's going to be. I haven't seen it. Thank goodness we got Dragnet in there. Okay, okay. That's like a refill station. And then after that is Big, Punchline, The Burbs... Turner Hooch, Joe vs. Volcano, Bonfire of the Vanities, Radio Flyer, League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia. Like, we are a few away from, like, a stretch where it's, like, known quantities, known properties. All right, that made me feel a lot better, Joey. I really hope so, because this is unsustainable, what we are doing right now. No, this was such a kick in the nuts after the money pit. Yeah? Man, oh man. Um, Any last thoughts about Nothing in Common before we close up shop? Yeah, I think we could agree, Jeff. We could put this one to bed for a while. Well, for all things Hanks from the Memories and our other sort of sister podcast, Cruise Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page and our uh, Threadless shop, both of which you can find from cageclub.me. Um, and come back next week for Born on the Fourth of July on Cruise Club. So check that one out next week as we're off, you know, as we stagger these releases every other week. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manson. And we'll see you in two weeks for every time we say goodbye right here on Hanks for the Memory. You should talk. Your best friend is your dick. And when did I learn that? Your best friend is your dick. That's great. The four of us will go out to lunch someday.